Welcome to the Dry Bones Ministries podcast. Each week, we'll bring you inspiring homilies and powerful stories from real Catholics, all about the truth, goodness, and beauty of Christ and His Church. If you're interested in supporting the work that we're doing, you can visit drybonespgh.org or follow us on social media at drybonespgh. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you are reminded of how much the Lord loves you and that you hear His invitation for you to come to life. I love First Communion season because it's it's so beautiful. But first of all, because it reminds me of something that it's so easy for me to take for granted, the gift of the Eucharist. Like, I don't know about you guys, but man, it's just so easy for me to take for granted the gift of the Eucharist that we have. Forgive me if you've heard me preach about this, if you came to the First Holy Communions, if you came to Holy Thursday, but I want to preach about the Eucharist because I need to hear it myself. A preacher never preaches without first preaching to himself. I celebrated three Masses yesterday. It's so easy for me. I got another three Masses today, right? To come in, I do my thing, I celebrate, and I... The God of the universe, folks, we believe is about to come down from heaven onto this altar and walk off this altar into our hearts, but it's so easy to take it for granted. We just come, we show up, we do our thing, we leave, you know? I love asking the kids questions, right? I was asking a class a while back, you know, talking about God, who is God and who is Jesus? And I could tell one of the girls sitting in like the third row was looking around and was like, how does he not know this, you know? <laughs> Finally, she raised her hand and I called on her. She said, you are. You know, I was like, all right. But I was talking to one of the kids after First Communion last week, and it was so beautiful. This is down at Sacred Heart. And I said, how was it? How was receiving First Communion? She looked at back at me with childlike wonder. She said, with total sincerity, it was amazing. It's amazing. And I could tell something happened in her heart. I said, what were you thinking when you received First Holy Communion? She looked back at me, she said, Father Joe, I just, I was just thinking, I love Jesus from the heart of a child. We need to recover once again the heart of a child in the reception of the Holy Communion, amen? We need to recover again that childlike faith. It's amazing, I, just, I don't know, Father Joe, I just, I just love Jesus. I was preparing kids for First Holy Communion years ago, and I asked the class, are you excited to receive First Holy? I said, we're so excited, Father Joe. I asked the little kid, I said, why are you excited? He said, because when we receive Holy Communion, it's the closest we'll ever be to God before we get to heaven. Welcome to Mass. At Mass, we are the closest we will ever be to God before we get to heaven, right? Why? Because God himself becomes present in the form of bread and wine. How does it happen? Maybe you've never been taught this. Maybe you need refreshed it. How does it happen? How is it possible that bread, that's, what, that's what's on the altar right now, just bread, becomes body and wine, that's what's going to be brought over to me, becomes blood. Listen, because the Word of God is effective, that it it actualizes what it commands, what God says is. How many of you like baseball? How many of you like the Pirates? A lot less hands. <laughs> we like them the first few months, don't we? And then it just... You go to a baseball game and a player slides into second base and the umpire says, you're out. Is he out? Of course he's out. Why? Because the word of the umpire is effective. That is, 
it affects reality. When he says he's out, he's out. Now, if I'm in the stands watching the game and the, um, and the base runner slides into second base and I say, you're safe, is he safe? No, why? Because my word is not effective. It doesn't mean anything. God's word is like that umpire's word to the nth degree. What God says is, and so I've rehearsed this for you before, but play along with me. When God says, let there be light, there was. When he said that the deaf man's ears be opened, his ears were. When he said to the storm, be calm, the storm was. When he says, this is my body, it's his body. When he says, this is my blood, it's his blood. I don't want to believe the statistics that 23% of Catholics who come to Mass on Sunday, that's less than one-fourth of you in this church. One out of every four do not believe in the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. I can't believe that. Please don't tell me that's true. And if it is true, it's not going to be true much longer. Not in this church. It's not going to happen. We cannot have that. Because if we don't believe in the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, what are we doing? There's way better music up at Christ Church at Grove Farm. There's way better preaching at Orchard Hill. There's all those other things. But if this is God, to whom shall we possibly go? What can better preaching or better music give me that can overcome this reality? And I know it's hard, folks. Why is it hard? to continue our belief. And we've believed this every century until late in the 16th century, long after the Protestant Reformation. To be Christian meant to be Catholic. And to be Catholic meant you believed in the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. That's how it was until a few hundred years ago. It can be hard though, why? Because we depend so deeply on our senses. We depend on our eyes, we depend on our taste, we depend on our touch, and it tastes like bread, it smells like bread, it looks like bread, it tastes like wine. In the 12th century, a priest was going from Turin down to Rome. He stopped at Orvieto, a little town north of Rome, very beautiful. It's up on a hillside. He was celebrating mass, he was having doubts. It happens, it happens. When you depend too much on your senses and not on the heart, you begin to doubt. And he held up the Eucharist as he was doing the consecration, just like I'm going to do in a minute, and blood poured out from the host onto his hands and onto the corporal. The corporal is the little cloth we put down right before we celebrate communion. It means body. It's literally there to catch the body of Jesus if it falls. You can still see the corporal today. I've prayed in front of it many, many times for many, many hours. In the 1980s, the authorities in the church in Orvieto took that corporal to NASA scientists in the United States. They didn't tell them what it was or where it was from. The NASA scientists discovered it was blood. AB blood type from the myocardial valve of the heart from a Middle Eastern man that lived in the first century and died a traumatic death. Jesus. It's Jesus. How do we overcome our senses? Because of a very simple word called transubstantiation. Repeat that after me. Transubstantiation. It's a very simple word. We think it's so complicated. Trans means change. Substantiation means substance. 
We believe that the substance changes, not the accidents. Substance and accidents, philosophy 101. What are accidents? That which, which isn't integral to the whole. The accidents of Joe Friedi are I have, or I used to have, brown hair. I have bluish eyes. I'm six foot two, I'm 200. Well, never mind about that part, but let's just. All those things are very changeable. We get shorter as we get taller, don't we? We get heavier as we get taller. Our eye color changes, our hair can... But that's not Joe. The substance of Joe Friedi is not my hair color, it's my Jonas. And so the accidents don't change, the substance changes. Maybe he was speaking symbolically, Father Joe, like the Protestants believe, like we just started to believe. Martin Luther didn't even believe he was speaking symbolically. Neither did any of the other reformers. He's not speaking symbolically. How can you be so sure? Because he spoke symbolically all over the scriptures. He said, I am the vine. He said, I am the gate. He said, I am the good shepherd. And nobody said, this guy's crazy. He thinks he's a vine. He thinks he's a gate. He's not a shepherd. He's a carpenter. He's from Nazareth. His dad's Joseph. He's a carpenter. They knew he was speaking symbolically, and so they stuck around. But here in John chapter 6, verse 66, when he said, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink, they said, this saying is too hard for us. We're out. We're gone. If he was speaking symbolically, they would have stuck around just like they did all the other times he was speaking symbolically. But they left in John 6, 6, 6. Why? Because they knew he was speaking literally. And just to teach them how literal he meant it, he kept saying, my flesh is food and my blood is drink, and unless you eat of it, you will die. Symbolically. You remember, he turns to Peter and the other apostles after the other disciples walk away, and he says to Peter, will you too leave me over this? I want to ask that to you this morning, to you who have children who have left the church and stopped practicing the faith. I, I wish I could cry out to them, will you too leave? The only way you can leave the Catholic Church is if you've never believed in the true presence of Jesus in the most blessed sacrament, because if you leave believing that, you are nothing less than the greatest fool that's ever lived. And I mean those words. If you believe this is God and you walk away, there's no hope except for reconversion. Jesus. Peter says back to Jesus, and I hope you can say this in your heart. I want you to say it in your heart. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What Peter was saying was this, Lord, I don't understand how you are going to give us your flesh to eat and your blood to drink. I don't get it. I don't know. But I saw you raise Lazarus from the dead. I saw you cure the lepers. I saw you walk on water. I saw you calm the storm. I saw you raise Jairus' daughter. I've seen you do more miracles in a day than I've ever seen in 50 lifetimes. So if you say it, I believe it. I don't know how you're going to do it. But if you say it, I believe it. And Jesus showed him how he was going to do it, didn't he? At the Last Supper, he held up a piece of bread and he says, take and eat, this is my body. And he held up a chalice filled with wine, just like I'm going to do, and said, take and drink, this is my blood. He did it.
When the communists took over in China, maybe you've heard this story before, the first thing the communists always do is kill the priests and try and destroy the church. It's happening here. Going after the little sisters of the poor. Can you imagine that? Remember when we used to joke about the little sisters of the poor? Oh, we won a basketball game. Oh, you probably played the little sisters of the poor. We're actively going after the little sisters of the poor. We wonder why Western society has completely collapsed. We have no civilization or culture left. They came into the, a city right outside of Beijing. They took the priest and they changed him up into an apartment like this. He could look out the window. They did it like that so they could mock him. They took the Blessed Sacrament. That's what this is. That's called the tabernacle. Jesus lives there. They took that tabernacle, they busted out the stained glass windows, they threw it onto the ground, it busted open and 11 hosts fell out. The priest hung there in vigil, praying over, adoring the Lord on the ground. He believed. A little girl, 10 years old, there's 10 year olds here and there's younger than it, 10 years old is very young. She snuck past the guards at night, the first night. And the priest was terrified for her. She bent down with her hands behind her back because they never received in the hand. That's a modern invention, always on the tongue. She bent down to receive the Eucharist and she picked the Eucharist up with her tongue, just one host, and she snuck away. Thank God the guards didn't find her. To the priest's terror, but also amazement, she came back the next night. And the next night and the next night. Ten nights in a row until there was one host left and she came to get that last host and it was going well. She, hands behind the back, received the Eucharist, but as she stood up, she kicked some pebbles on the ground and the guards heard her. And they descended upon her and beat her to death with the butts of their rifles. Come on, Father. Mass was like an hour and five minutes. Come on, Father. I got stuff to do. We had soccer, Father, so we couldn't come this week, even though there's masses starting on Saturday at 4, going all the way till 7.45 at night at churches all over this diocese. Come on, Father. We make it most of the time, just not every time. Come on, Father. What's the big deal? We got to pray hard, folks, this Easter season for a renewal in our hearts and souls, that our hearts would be renewed in the truth of our Catholic faith. A Protestant pastor friend of mine said to me one time, Father Joe, if you Catholics actually believed what you professed, you wouldn't walk up to communion. You'd crawl on your faces. And I said, I think you probably have more faith in the Eucharist than I do. It's him. And he loves you. That's why he gives himself to you. The gospel today, don't worry, I'm not going to start preaching the homily now. I'm just going to end it. In the gospel today, Jesus says this amazing word. He says, remain in my love. And there's a lot of ways to remain in the love of Jesus. Through the scriptures, his word, we do that. Through one another, by loving each other, we remain in his love. By keeping his commandments, we remain in his love. What is the primary way we remain in the love of Jesus? The Eucharist, God in us, and we in God. 
There is no closer union you can have with Jesus, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, than receiving Holy Communion. It was amazing, Father Joe. All I could think was, I just love Jesus. It's the closest we'll ever be to God before we get to heaven. This is the Mass.